welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional surprise budget micro-wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If the price of floral arches hurts your brain, you are in the right place. Okay, so today's episode is all about how to save big on your wedding, how to cut your wedding budget in half. So all of the ideas that I'm going to share today are ways for you to really save big amounts of money. So I'm not going to say things like, oh, if you opt for, I don't know, roses instead of orchids, you'll save a bit of money. No, I'm talking like cutting the flowers altogether. Spoiler alert, that is one of the ideas. Um, And a few of these ideas are going to be pretty controversial. So uh, please don't get offended. There's no judgment here. And I'm definitely not saying that you need to say yes to all of these ideas. But I'm hoping as you hear them, there might be, you know, one or two that you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's definitely something I could do. And you save yourself a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars uh, just just like that. Of course, if you are really, really on a budget, maybe you do want to say yes to all of these ideas. But otherwise, just pick and choose. If you hear something you love, take it. If it offends you to your core, leave it alone. (laughs) Because there's definitely some aspects of your wedding that you probably do want to splurge on. And even, you know, myself, as I was putting together this list, there's definitely certain areas of the wedding, or for my wedding at least, that I want to spend a bit more on. And it was hard for me to come up with, okay, how do you actually do that on a budget? How do you cut that cost in half? Um, and you'll probably hear that as as we go, but it is possible. There's definitely ways to save. Um, I will say if you're new and you've just started listening, I do have two other episodes that are great uh, for people on a budget. The first one is how to stay on a budget for your wedding. So that's all about how you come up with that number and how you actually stick to it as you wed- as you are in the middle of wedding planning because things keep popping up and all these other things you can spend on. So that's a really great listen, how to stay on your budget for your wedding. And then the other episode is called It's Okay to Have a Cheap Budget Wedding. And that's basically just letting you know that you don't need to have any guilt when it comes to being cheap and that it's okay. Um, And some general ideas on how to do it, how to be cheap or inexpensive and stick to a budget. But today I'm going to get into way more ideas. Before I do, I want to say one quick note about frienders. So frienders are friends who you hire as wedding vendors. And um, this idea is going to come up a lot as we go down the list of sort of, okay, what's a better way, you know, to save money on photography? Oh, I'll just hire cousin Becky. She's, you know, she loves taking photos. She always takes the photos whenever we have, you know, family dinners or whatever. So just a quick note on frienders. Yes, it is a great way to save money if you have a friend or family member who's able to offer a service and you can hire them as a wedding vendor. But there's a lot of complications that come with that. It's a lot harder to go to cousin Becky and say, hey, I hate the way you take photos. You know, we just got our engagement photos back and you suck. <laughs> this is not what I want at all for my wedding. I'm firing you and hiring someone else. That's really, really tough when you have Um, other relationships and and complications tied up in it. Um, It's also sometimes, you know, if if it's your best friend and they said, oh yeah, you know, I'm a great DJ. Okay, that's awesome if they're willing to do that for free, but maybe that means they miss out on the party. And now you have friends, you know, who are working and they're not able to actually be there with you on your wedding day. It can also get really complicated in terms of like, you know, invoicing or 
any sort of like edits or critiques. It's just a little bit of a complicated situation. And then of course, you know, if they are a friend who just sort of does photography or cake decorating or whatever as a hobby, then you also are not going to be able to get that professional experience. And if that's what you're looking for, that's um, too much to put on a friend who just is a hobby videographer or whatever it is. So things to keep in mind, my suggestion there would be only to hire a friend or if it's, you know, a friend you don't really mind, um, who if they're not, you know, able to enjoy your wedding to the fullest, you don't mind if they have to go and work for a couple hours. Um, somebody where you are comfortable, you know, sort of straight talking to them about the relationship and you guys are both on the same page about everything. You can be honest with each other and um, preferably a part of the wedding that you're not super, super caring about. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, if you live and die for flowers and you've always dreamed of having this gorgeous bouquet as you walk down the aisle, that's probably where you're going to want to hire a professional where you can see a mock-up and have, you know, a very clear invoice back and forth, you know what's to be expected and not have, you know, a friend who has a nice garden put that together for you. Okay, let's get into the big ideas. Okay, so the first huge way to cut your wedding budget in half is to cut your guest list. You've probably heard this one before, but it is so true. Before you start looking for, you know, alternatives to, I don't know, champagne or something like that to try to save a few bucks, definitely go back to your guest list and see if you can cut anyone. The moment you cut someone from your guest list or, you know, a few people, you're able to save money in so many other areas because suddenly, you know, you don't need as many tables, you don't need as many chair rentals, you don't need as much food, as much alcohol, as many centerpieces. It really does make a huge difference. For my wedding, we're hoping to have just 20 people and you'll see as we keep going down this list that the number of ways we're able to save money because we're only expecting 20 guests is huge. Whereas if we were expecting 200 guests, a lot of these numbers, you know, venue, food, drinks would really, really be going up. So that's a huge one. If you can downsize your guest list, that is the best way to cut your wedding budget in half. Next, I'll move on to the wedding party. I know that's kind of a funny thing to think about in terms of budget, but it actually does make a huge difference. Even if you've decided, okay, you know, I'm going to have 10 groomsmen and 10 bridesmaids and we're not paying for their outfits. So, you know, how are they costing us money? It actually does end up costing you money. You have to buy them gifts. Um, you may have to pay for certain things like, you know, hotel rooms, you'll have to feed them for the rehearsal dinner. And then on top of costing you money, it also costs you a ton of time. And unfortunately, a ton of drama. I won't get into this too much because I have a whole episode dedicated to it called why you don't need a wedding party. So even if you are planning to have a wedding party, I suggest you give that episode a listen, just so you know, some of the things that might come up, and maybe that might encourage you to go from 10 bridesmaids to three. Next up is the wedding planner or wedding coordinator. I know this is a hugely important role and it seems like a lot of the podcasts about weddings are actually made by planners and coordinators who of course are happy to tell you how helpful they're going to be. And I'm not to say that um, that person wouldn't be helpful because I'm sure it'd be super helpful to have a wedding planner along for the ride or at least a wedding coordinator, you know, the month before and on the day of. However, if you're having a smaller wedding, back to that small guest list saves money, you probably don't need a wedding coordinator. For example, for a 20 person wedding, I'm definitely not going to be hiring someone to help me put that together because it's just really not needed. 
um, even if your wedding is a little bit larger and you're still trying to cut some corners on this one, do you have a friend or a family member who is, you know, super organized and close enough to you that you could, you know, hire them for this sort of a gig, but not so close that you'd have them in the wedding party? That might be a really good person to put into this position. Again, if they're not a professional, you can't be expecting a professional service. So you might have to be okay with some things getting missed and, you know, being a little bit more active. Whereas, you know, a regular professional wedding planner or wedding coordinator might be able to just like, you know, take it and run with it. You might have to give this person like, okay, here's a list of things that I need you to do and kind of follow up with them. So if you're okay being a little bit more hands-on, this is a great role to sort of give to a cousin or, you know, someone like that who's close to you, but isn't going to be in the wedding party, but is, you know, available to help out a lot more on the day. Okay, the next place where you can save money is the venue. So this is a huge one because this is often the biggest chunk of your budget is going towards a venue. So you'll want to be really, really careful when you make this decision because it's going to take up so much money. So the first thing you want to do is when you are searching for venues, obviously get those prices, make sure you have all of the numbers in front of you. Make sure you're asking the right questions about whether or not the fees that you're seeing, are those all inclusive? Do they include, you know, the tables and the linens and the chairs and the speakers and the dance floor and all that? Or do you have to start bringing those things in? And there's pros and cons to both. Obviously, it's a lot more work if you have to arrange all of your own, um, you know, chair rentals and linens and tables and all that stuff. However, you might have a chance to save money because maybe you're able to find cheaper rentals. So really weigh the pros and cons in that. I think me personally, I would prefer a venue that's all inclusive then just, you know, it's one less thing for you to have to worry about, for you to have to coordinate, um, especially if you're not hiring an actual coordinator. It sounds like it would be a lot of work to try to figure out all of the different vendors arriving at the same time, you know, with the chairs and the tables and all of that. Uh, if you really want to save some money with your venue, look to see if you can do it in a free space. So for example, if you were just having a really small elopement, um, that's something you could do at a park. I work with a wedding vendor that does a ton of elopements in the most beautiful, you know, parks and mountains and beaches and it's absolutely gorgeous. And all of those places are 100% free. So that's a really nice way to do it, um, especially or sorry, not especially, but at least for the ceremony, maybe if you are having a larger reception somewhere else, but you could do your ceremony in a park or out on the beach with, you know, 20 guests or something like that. If you're having more of like a micro wedding style thing, you can definitely do that in a backyard or maybe a family member or friend has a house that they like to lend you or you can look on Airbnb or a site like that and to rent a house um, for a day. That's usually a great way to save money. Again, be really careful with uh, the things that you'll have to bring in. If, for example, you know, your grandparents are like, oh, we've got this barn that's perfect for a rustic wedding. Okay, awesome. But do you need to bring in a kitchen and bathrooms and <laughs> lights and all these other things, you know, if they're not equipped for weddings? Definitely think through all of those uh, add-ons because they can definitely um, add quite a bit to your budget. <laughs> Another great option is to do a restaurant. A lot of restaurants will um, allow people to have events in their space as long as they do a buyout, which covers how much they would have made that night. So for example, a restaurant might say, okay, you know, we have a $10,000 buyout. So that means you have to spend $10,000 in order to have the space. And I know that sounds super, super expensive, but you're not spending $10,000 just on the space. You have to buy $10,000 worth of food and drink in order to use the space. So if you were planning to spend that much on food and drink and all that stuff, anyways, that's a great way to do it. 
restaurants are also, you know, really beautiful. So a lot of the time you don't have to worry about bringing in decor and you definitely don't have to worry about tables and chairs and linens and all that because they have it all. So that's a great way to do it. Um, other things, you might just want to think of some non-traditional venues, um, you know, tap your connections. Are you part of any clubs or groups that have access to different venues? Even, you know, if you live in a condo, you might have a really cool party room in your condo that could work or a rooftop or something like that. Um, if you're part of any religious groups, you know, there might be a space in your synagogue or church or wherever that you could have your wedding. Um, so definitely try to think outside the box. And then a great way to save money on venues, even if you are going with a more traditional venue, is just to consider different times of the day, different days of the week, and different seasons of the year. Because if you're having a wedding, you know, Saturday night in peak season in your area, whatever that is, you know, summer or fall, that's often going to cost you a lot more than if you were having, say, a Tuesday night wedding in the winter or maybe a Sunday morning wedding in the spring. So talk to your venue, see what the difference is. It's often like a couple thousand dollars difference. And again, this is something that's gonna save you money all the way down the line because often your other vendors are also more willing to give a discount or they have lower rates if you're getting married in some of these off-peak times. And it also kind of gives you like a bit of a cool vibe, you know, like not too many people have Sunday brunch weddings. So if that's something you want to do, if that's, you know, more your style, you're more of like a mimosa and waffles kind of couple instead of a, I don't know, steak dinner and hard alcohol, then that's kind of a cool way to not only save money, but have a wedding that represents you too. Okay, so the next big place where you can save a ton of money on your wedding budget is the food. So I am of the belief that you definitely do need to feed your guests, especially if you're asking them to come out to, you know, a 30, 45 minute ceremony and then a reception. Like you definitely do have to feed them. The only time you might be able to get away with not feeding them is if it's just a quick, you know, five, 10 minute elopement on the beach. And then that's sort of it. Um, but anything kind of bigger than that, I'm of the belief that you do need to feed them. However, it doesn't need to be this, you know, 10 course lobster steak situation. You can definitely do this on a budget. So one cool way um, a lot of couples have been doing in the last probably, you know, five or so years is food trucks. Um, super fun. It gives a totally, um, you know, cool kind of relaxed vibe to your wedding. And it's also a great way to bring in some of your favorites. If you and your partner are big food truck people or you love that kind of food, that's a great way to sort of show that off. Um, another way is to do more appetizer stations and have it be less of like, you know, a big meal and more of just past appetizers or having them at different stations around the room and people can go around and eat them. And, you know, try to think outside the box. A lot of times we think traditional wedding food is, you know, steak or chicken or fish, but you can definitely do, you know, pizza and tacos or Chinese food or whatever it is that you love that really sounds more like you and your partner, but is also something you can do on a budget. That's awesome. If you're having a smaller guest list, you might even be able to just reach out to your favorite restaurant and order takeout. That's sort of what my partner and I are planning to do with our 20 people. We're kind of just planning to call two or three of our favorite restaurants and order you know, the sort of food that we love. It's the same price we pay for takeout and have that delivered and that be the meal. <laughs> That's it. Nothing, nothing fancy, but totally personal to us and definitely delicious. Another uh, food trend that we've seen a lot of during these COVID times is individual, um, like almost picnic boxes. So it's 
usually, you know, sandwiches or a little mini charcuterie board or something like that, that's individually wrapped so that each person can just sort of grab their own box and head to a table or a picnic blanket or whatever it is. And that's really great for, um, you know, COVID times when we have to be distanced and maybe a buffet wouldn't work. But it's also a great way to save money if you're just doing sort of almost like a boxed lunch situation that's not going to be nearly as expensive as giving everyone you know prime rib it might even be something you want to diy if it's something you can sort of make ahead of time and put in the fridge you know of course if you have a reasonable guest list please don't try to do this for like 500 people um when these things are allowed looking at the cost difference between a buffet versus a plated dinner versus a family style dinner usually the plated one is going to cost a bit more because you'll have to have more servers and it's just usually a bit more of a formal thing so you might have to go buffet i know there's a lot of um i don't know i feel like the buffet gets a bit of a bad rap at weddings people think it's like kind of trashy but honestly i love a buffet i want to decide how much of each food i want to eat <laughs> i don't want to have to wait and see what comes next what's being served to me i think buffets are great um and then if you know if you're really really trying to save money you don't have to feed people a full meal so a lot of weddings will do more, just a cake and punch reception. So basically that's, um, it's something I believe it started in Christian churches where you would get married in the church and then you would head down to the church basement and the couple would serve cake and punch to everyone. And that's it. Like that is the meal. Nothing else. Super simple. So you can definitely do something like that, you know, just desserts and drinks. Um, just make it clear to your guests on the invitation or on your wedding website what it is that they should expect. And try to have it at a time of day where just desserts and drinks make sense. So maybe you're having like a really late evening wedding or sort of like a midday three o'clock wedding. I think if you had that sort of a wedding at like five or six, people might be a bit confused because that's generally when dinner is served so that, you know, they might be hungry. <laughs> so try to time it for when people would be happy to have a piece of cake and not be grumbling about where the rest of the food is. Um, another way to do it on a super budget is to do a potluck. Again, this is only going to work with a smaller guest list and maybe more of a casual, homey, family vibe kind of a wedding. I think it would be weird to invite people out to this, you know, palatial estate that you've rented for the day and then ask them all to bring their own food. That's a bit odd. But, you know, if you're doing something like, hey, we're in my parents' backyard, please bring a picnic blanket and, you know, your favorite picnic food or something like that. That's a really kind of nice way to build your menu out of all of the things that you know your guests love the most that's really cool uh, it's also great for covid times if you're just you know not wanting any of that interaction between guests if you're asking them to bring their own food um, and they can just sort of sit on their own separate you know picnic blanket or whatever it is and eat their own food that's a cool way to do that of course this is you know i think i'm probably gonna get some flack for this suggestion for doing a potluck wedding because a lot of people do see the wedding as hey you know you're hosting this thing you're asking people to come, you do need to feed them a meal. And I agree with that. Um, so I think, yeah, potluck is definitely in certain situations, I think that could work. You could also do sort of a modified potluck, say, hey, like we're providing dinner, but we're gonna do potluck for dessert. Everyone, you know, everyone bring your favorite cookie recipe or something like that. Like, I think that would be so cool to have 20 different types of cookies on a dessert table or, I don't know, cakes, pies, whatever it is, something like that, sort of a modified potluck where you're still providing the bulk of the meal and your guests are just bringing little things to make it a bit more personal. Um, and of course, in those situations, it would not be expected for the guests to bring gifts since they are providing you know, food as well. And then my last note on food is just to not forget food for the rest of the day. Usually when we talk about food for a wedding, we're talking about the main meal, usually dinner. 
um, and feeding all the guests. But so many people forget that that day you still need to eat breakfast and lunch, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to be passing out, you know, at the front of the aisle or whatever. So while you're getting ready with your wedding party or however you're spending the rest of your day, just make sure you have a plan for breakfast and lunch. And it doesn't have to be anything wild and crazy. You can order pizza, you can get, um, you know, McDonald's, <laughs> you can have a platter of sandwiches from Costco whatever it is. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be expensive, but definitely is something you don't want to forget. Um, Let's just move on to drinks. That's an easy one. So again, I am of the belief that you do need to give your guests some sort of a beverage, especially if you're asking them to stand at any point or if it's hot out or if they basically if they are your guest for longer than 20 minutes, I think it's nice to have something for them to drink. Um, But you don't have to go crazy. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on this big open bar with all this different top shelf liquor. Definitely not. Um, So let's handle the non-liquor side of this first. So it's usually, you know, nice to have non-alcoholic options. You'll want to have juice and pop and lots of people will do, you know, coffee and tea, obviously water. You need to have some water there. Um, So one way to sort of save money here and also save some time and hassle instead of doing, you know, eight different types of juice and all this different pop or soda, you know, whatever you call it, you could just make a giant punch. (laughs) So you can have a really simple recipe for a big, big bowl of punch. And that can be your thing. And it can be your, you know, your custom punch, you can give it a cute name, something punny with you and your partner's names. Um, And that can be your non-alcoholic option and that works well. And then for water, you know, depending on your area, you can just have tap water and you can put it into different jugs so it looks a little fancier and then, you know, done, easy. For the alcoholic side, it, um, it, I think it depends on where you are, but generally speaking in North America, a cash bar is okay. You just need to let people know ahead of time because uh, especially these days, lots of people don't have cash on them. So if you're, you know, having a toonie bar or a cash bar, you know, whatever it is you want to call it, just let people know ahead of time so they are prepared and they can bring cash and make sure that you talk to your venue about how that works. Is there a minimum spend? Um, are you using drink tickets or drink tokens? Do you want to give every guest, you know, oh, we'll give you two tickets and then the rest of the bar is on you. There's lots of variations. If you're not comfortable with just a totally cash only bar, you can definitely do uh, the option where you give people some drink tickets or drink tokens, or you can do more of a limited bar. Like, hey, we'll pick up any, you know, wine or beer, but if you want hard liquor, you're on your own. Or if you want to do an open bar, you can also do that but have it more limited or modified. You know, you only have three different types of hard alcohol or just beer, or just wine, you know, you know your audience and um, and what sort of things they want to drink. Another thing to look into to save money on the drinking front is if you're able to bring in your own alcohol. Of course, this is something you're going to want to talk to your venue about to see if that's possible. You might also need a special license or a permit to be able to do this. But if you are able to bring your own alcohol, that's often a great way to save money. Uh, You're not going to be paying the markup that the venue would put on it. You might also not need to pay um, servers, but uh, actually, you know, I take that back. (laughs) You probably will still need to pay to have a bartender or somebody uh, run your bar unless of course you took my advice on the first section and you have a really small guest list um, so for our 20 person wedding we're planning just to go down to the liquor store and my partner's a big beer drinker I'm a big cider drinker so that's all we're gonna get we're gonna get a bunch of really cool craft beer and you know local ciders and just have them all in a cooler pretty much and we love that they are you know single serve so it's not gonna be a situation where you need to get cups and someone has to serve and all that stuff and since it's just 20 of us 
this. Super easy. Just grab one, you know, out of the fridge or out of the cooler and you're good to go. And it's also super representative of what my partner and I love to drink. So we think that's going to be a really cool way to make it personal, but also save a bunch of money. Um, if you really, really want to save money on alcohol, of course, you can have a dry wedding. You don't have to serve alcohol. It's not required. Again, this is probably something you want to let your guests know of ahead of time. And again, this is something that I think works better if you have a less traditional wedding. So if you are doing, for example, the picnic wedding, I think a lot of people would think, oh, yeah, you know, lemonade at a picnic. That's super cute. Or if you're having a lunch wedding or a brunch wedding or just the, you know, the dessert and punch in the afternoon, basically any wedding that's not dinner and late in the night, I think it's easier to do no alcohol because, you know, people don't often have alcohol with lunch or, you know, breakfast or whatever it is, maybe mimosas. But <laughs> if you don't want to do mimosas, I think it's a little bit easier to get away with not having a bar in those less traditional weddings. And the last thing to do um, to save money if you did still want to have alcohol is to do a BYOB, bring your own uh, booze, I guess, doesn't have to be beer. So more of that potluck style like we were talking about for food, but for drinks. And again, that's going to be dependent on your venue. If they're okay with people bringing in their own alcohol, they might not be. This might be something you'd have to save for more of like a private venue, like if you rented a house or you were using a family member's house, because I imagine a lot of venues are not going to be cool with like your uncles showing up with their moonshine or a keg or something like that. Um, and then again, of course, you know, don't be expecting gifts from these guests if they are being expected to bring their own alcohol. All right, moving on. I'm just now realizing that my list of ways to cut your wedding budget in half is quite long, and this episode is already getting pretty lengthy, so I'm probably going to have to break this up into two parts. Uh, but before I leave you for part one, I'll share a few more ideas. So moving on to another big ticket item, we've got the photographer. So this is an area of the wedding where a lot of people splurge, and personally, it's one that I, I kind of think you should. If, uh, if photos are important to you, if you're excited to put those up around the house and have this memory of your wedding day. I think it's a really great place to put your money. Um, but that being said, if you're looking to save, obviously you still can. So like we talked about at the beginning, you can get, you know, a friender. So a family member or a friend who is either a professional or they just are a really great hobbyist photographer. That can be a great way to save money if they can do it for you for free or for a discount. You could look at having a student take your photos or someone who's just new to photography, just getting their business off the ground. Um, you might get lucky. You might find someone who's super, super talented, but they've just started out. So they're kind of still booking um, at a bit of a lower price range. Also check out deals. Lots of photographers run promos. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know if they do Black Friday or things like that, but lots of photographers have promos or they'll say, um, you know, waiving my travel fee or something like that. Just there's always options. They might even um, be happy to book you a deal if you are coming through a referral. They might have a referral program or if you, you know, book other sessions with them, maybe an engagement session or a family session or something like that. Um, on the actual day, a great way to save money is if you do fewer hours of coverage. So generally speaking for weddings, photographers will kind of offer six to eight hours of coverage. You can extend that, you can shorten that, but chat with your photographer and see, hey, you know, what if we did three hours or four hours? What's the price there? And they might be able to get you a great deal. Um, they also might not because let's say you're getting married on a Saturday and you're like, oh yeah, I'd really love to have you from, you know, two to 6 p.m. 
well, they probably can't do another wedding after that or another wedding before that. So they're not so inclined to give you a deal since they've pretty much written off the whole day for you anyways. So they'd probably prefer you did, you know, a full eight hours. But talk to your photographer. See, maybe they um, are able to fit in another wedding before and after, or maybe they're able to make something work for your budget. And I think uh, a great reason to sort of cut back on those hours is, and I'm going to get on a bit of a soapbox here, but we see so many photos, or at least I do, uh, so many photos of the getting ready stage. So in, um, in a hetero wedding, you know, the bride and all of her bridesmaids putting on their dresses, in their robes, getting hair and makeup done, putting on the shoes, uh, everyone having that like oh, look on their face, you know, when the bride first comes out and all oh, the guys putting on the cufflinks and putting on the ties and and they're fun photos, but if you've ever been in a wedding, you know those photos are incredibly staged. <laughs> like the photographer is literally telling you, okay, pretend to put on her necklace. Okay, pretend to put on her veil. Oh, can you look at your mom again? Okay, everyone look excited. Um, and I'm not saying other wedding photos are not staged because of course, you know, your portraits of you and your partner out in the field at sunset, very staged. But personally, those getting ready photos, I just, I really don't understand the point of them. Because to me, those aren't photos that you're going to frame. You know, maybe one or two of them will make it into your wedding photo album. But are those really like, are those important moments? Are you really going to frame a photo of like you putting your shoe on in your house? Probably not, unless it's, you know, this really gorgeous, well-lit moment. And I'm not saying those don't exist. I have seen some beautiful photos of people putting shoes on, but... <laughs> Generally speaking, the photos that are super important that actually tell the story of your day and the true story, not the, you know, okay, let's pretend to put on a necklace kind of story, but the true story of your day are the photos at your ceremony, you know, those those moments when you're actually reading your vows or, or it's looking at your partner, you know, your first kiss, and those couples portraits that you take. So, you know, af usually after the ceremony, maybe at sunset, maybe before the ceremony, if you do a first look, you go out and you take these photos, you do some with your wedding party, and then you do a bunch with your spouse. And those are the photos that we see, you know, printed and put on the thank you cards and put up around the house and in the wedding album. So for me, if I was able to, you know, tell my photographer when I wanted them and that could save me money, I would say, I just want you for the ceremony and I want you for some, you know, family portraits, some wedding party portraits, some pictures of my spouse and I, and then I'm good. Like, I don't need you to take a photo of me getting zipped up into my dress or getting my eyelashes put on or, you know, a recreation of my mom seeing me for the first time. I don't need you at dinner. Um, I don't need you at speeches. I definitely don't need you on the dance floor when, you know, people are getting sloppy. So just an idea. I'll get off my soapbox now, but you get it. If, um, if you have the option to have fewer hours of coverage, it's definitely something to look into because it really could save you a lot of money. Most photographers charge a few hundred an hour. So if they're able to cut a few hours off the day, that could be huge. Um, another thing is engagement photos. A lot of photographers offer, you know, as part of the package, they'll do engagement photos for free. So if that's something you are looking at, if you do want to take engagement photos, it's a great idea to book your wedding photographer at the same time, um, you know, not do those as two separate things, and then see if they have an, a package where the engagement photos are part of the deal. Um, if not, engagement photos are incredibly optional. You do not need to take engagement photos. And that could be, you know, if you do want to take them, that could be a situation where you hire that friend who loves photography because, you know, these photos just aren't as important as the wedding ones. 
Moving on to videography. Um, again, this is optional. You do not need to have a videographer at your wedding. You don't need a wedding video. However, it is becoming more of a, I don't want to say necessity, but definitely more of a popular vendor in current weddings. A lot of people are starting to add video to their day and uh, you can see why, you know, if you've ever seen a wedding video, it's absolutely beautiful. There's, you know, the music, the vows, the the day. I honestly think I start tearing up anytime I have to watch a wedding video. <laughs> um, and, you know, as they say, that is really the only way to get that actual, you know, reliving of the day. The photos obviously are one part of it, but the video is the actual, you know, being in the moment, hearing the voices, seeing the people in, you know, real time. So if that's important to you, that might be someplace you want to put some money in. But also, it's okay if it's not. Um, you know, for me, like I just said, I tear up every time I see a wedding video. I really believe in the value. I love the idea of having that be you know, a way to actually relive the day. I would love to be able to hear my vows again, hear toasts and things like that over video. I love that idea, but I don't $2,500 love it or $1,200 love it. I don't even $500 love it, um, I, which is, you know, just the truth. That's, I know for myself, I will watch the video, you know, maybe twice when I first get it. I will spend half the video uh, critiquing what I look like, which is something I'm working on. I really don't want to be fixating on my flaws on this day that's supposed to be all about, you know, joy and happiness. And then I will probably watch it once a year on my anniversary and that's it. And for me, uh, you know, a four minute video I'm watching once a year isn't worth spending hundreds of dollars on. And you might have a different answer. You might say, yeah, that's totally worth it. Like I'm going to watch it every year for the rest of my life. A hundred percent, I'll spend thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars, whatever it is. But if you are looking to, you know, have video, but save some money, uh, once again, you can get a student or someone who's newer in the business or a friend or family member to film for you. Um, and then I think COVID has really shown us that there's lots of ways to do the video part of your wedding um, a little bit more DIY. So of course, I'm sure you've heard, maybe you've attended a Zoom wedding or basically a live stream version of a wedding on you know Facebook Live or Zoom or Event Live, all these different platforms. But basically the ceremony is you know live streamed to people all over the world. They watch it from their computers. And sometimes the reception is streamed as well or the toasts or you know there's other little events. But if you've noticed, most of the couples who are doing these live streamings are also recording them, which means they have that recording. So sure it's not, you know, this beautifully edited piece of work with the music and probably half of it is going to be your photographer's butt in the lens. But if you really just want to be able to relive um, you know, a portion of your wedding, hear your vows, hear your toasts, be able to see that again. And you don't care if it's not professionally edited or, you know, perfect angles or anything like that, then that's a really easy way to do it. And that's as simple as setting up a phone on a tripod and pressing play. You know, you can use Facebook Live or Instagram Live or Zoom for free, or you can pay, you know, just 50 bucks or whatever for some of the paid versions. And that's a super simple, easy way to do it that um, definitely will save you money and gets the point across. Okay, I think I have rambled on long enough for one episode. I'm starting to lose my voice. I still have probably 10 or 15 other ways for you to save some major money on your wedding. So I will be back with part two. So stay tuned. Thank 
you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope I gave you some great ideas for ways that you can save on your wedding budget. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and review, subscribe so you don't miss the next episode, and tell a friend. And don't forget to stay tuned for part two.